are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Stacey Purcell, who's the founder, CEO, and president of the Vet Recruiter, a leading recruiting business exclusively focused on animal health in the veterinary profession. Stacy, thank you so much for joining me. Isaiah, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we got to, to meet in person earlier in the year at the annual Vet Partners meeting, and I was so appreciative of your time and ability to, to do and answer the kind of that quick one-question podcast. But from our conversations, I really wanted to dive a little bit deeper into your role because I don't think there's anyone that I've interviewed that's had the knowledge and insights and conversations that you've had across the industry in thousands and thousands and thousands of conversations where I think those insights will be really, really valuable to the people that listen. So I'm I'm excited about this. Yes, I'm excited too. I enjoyed our conversation that we had in Las Vegas and happy to be here on your podcast today. Can you tell me how does someone go from you know, let's say just general recruiting. I mean, that's even fairly specialized into specifically kind of the veterinary medicine space. How did that transition happen or how did you find yourself in the role that you're at today in starting this business? Sure. Well, that's an interesting question. It, it wasn't planned. and uh, I'll be upfront about that. Uh, it was not where I was expecting my career to go, but looking at my career, I, I can't imagine anything else that I would rather be doing or would, um, would cause me to be as fulfilled as what I've been doing here in the animal health and, and veterinary industry. So the industry kind of found me um, I wasn't looking for it, and I'm happy to share my my story with you. And you know, it's a perfect fit for me because I'll tell you, Isaiah, I grew up you know rescuing animals. It's you know it's kind of interesting because when I when I interview people and I ask them why do you want to be in this industry, and they say I love animals, that was not a career path I was ever thinking about. Um, but when I was a child, I rescued a cat at a um, high school football game where these kids were hitting this cat with a bandana. And I went over there and pretended it was my cat. And I said, that's my cat. You're hurting it. Stop. And I rescued the cat and sent the cat home to my house. Um, I was going to a sleepover and a friend of mine um, was going home. And I asked her if she could drop the cat off at my house. And my mother said, um, what is Stacy going to do with this cat? And my friend said, well, she's going to find a home for it. Well, I did. The home was at our house. So we adopted this cat. And then I rescued um, a mouse when I was in the seventh grade. This kid in my class um, had taken this um, mouse for some kind of a school project. And he said he was going to hit it on the head with a hammer and kill it on, on when he got home. And I said, oh, no, you can't do that. So I rescued the mouse and took it home and adopted 
the mouse. It was the stinkiest pet I ever owned, but um, <laughs> I, I provided this home to this mouse. So we had a lot of, lot of animals growing up. We had four cats, two rabbits, a bird, fish, um, mouse. I just, I've always loved animals, but what I, what I don't enjoy are things like, you know, blood and guts, never considered medicine. I don't do well when they draw blood, you know, things like that. So it's just not a career path I was thinking of. I actually, um, thought I was going to be a journalist and I have a degree in broadcast uh, journalism. I love to write. I grew up writing a family newspaper for my family, just stories, um, about my, myself and my brother and my, parents and grandparents and would just write like our family um, newspaper. And, and then when I went to college, I wrote for the the Daily O'Cauley, which was a newspaper at Oklahoma State. So I wrote articles. Um, an interesting thing happened, though. I was sent by the editor. So when I was at Oklahoma State University, our school was looking for a new president for the school. And the editor of the Ocali newspaper sent me to interview the dean of the search committee that was handling the search to find OSU a new president. So I wrote this article. It made the front page of the paper. I was really proud of my article and the fact that it made the front page of the paper, but that was the first time I'd ever heard of the executive search industry. It was when I was writing this article at Oklahoma State about the search that the university was doing to find a new president. And so I also worked for the, the television news program for the school. I wrote and was a um, producer and was in charge my senior year at OSU of doing the, the daily newscast for the university. I did a couple internships for the local CBS affiliate. I worked in the news department. Um, I did everything from ride along with reporters, um, help them cover murders and hostage situations and you know lots of interesting stories and then I also worked in the sports department and uh, we covered the local baseball games and that was very very interesting as well and then I worked for an advertising agency so you know coming out of school I met my husband we got married and he uh, was a CPA he was working in public accounting and he would get calls from recruiters all the time they would call him and try to recruit him for other accounting firms so that's how I you know, got it got intrigued I thought it was a little mysterious job you're calling people that already have a job and talking to them about opportunities with other organizations and then my sister-in-law she um, was in recruiting and search Back in the 90s, um, she placed people in the IT industry. Uh, she has a similar background to mine. Uh, she has a degree in, um, in communications and uh, journalism. And uh, so, like I said, I was working for an advertising agency, and then my sister-in-law was doing search, and I became very intrigued. And I actually responded, you know, believe it or not, because, you know, today we, we kind of laugh about this, and this is not how most people, you know, get their job, you know, today, but I actually responded to an ad in the newspaper. And uh, this was back in the days, I'm dating myself, but you had to fax your resume to a company. So this executive search firm, an international company with the local office here um, in my city. I uh, was advertising a position for an executive search consultant. I was in my 20s and thought, you know, that this sounds very interesting, but, you know, it sounds like a, a big position. I, I don't know if I'm qualified, but just learning more about my sister-in-law's career, I just took a chance and I applied for it. 
And they hired me and they put me through training to be an executive search consultant. I was the youngest person in the firm. And most of the people in the firm had had, you know, long careers and engineering or whatever the specialty was that they were working in. If they were placing engineers, they had you know spent 20 years placing engineers. If they were placing nurses, they worked as a nurse for a lot of years before getting into executive search. So um, I had a short career in um, journalism, broadcasting, advertising. Um, I also did work for a Fortune 500 company for about a year. I worked in their communications department, but I, I got very intrigued with search. And I also knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to have my own business at some point. And uh, so that was a goal I had. So when I got into this international company with the local branch in, in executive recruiting, they said, it's kind of like having your own business within our business. We'll teach you how to do executive search, but you go out and you get all your own clients and you build your book of business. Um, we'll provide you some tools and resources, but you, know, you, you go and you build the business. So I was brought in, I went through training and I was hired to place executives for Fortune 500 companies. And I was given a specific niche and my niche was working with Fortune 500 companies in the consumer packaged goods space. So these were companies, a lot of the companies I was working with were human food companies, and I was placing people primarily in at the executive level, but a lot of my focus was on sales and marketing professionals, and I also placed some people for some scientific positions, like food scientists. And so uh, my segue into veterinary and animal health is this large Fortune 500 company, this human food company that was my client. They had a, uh, a pet food division. And they said, Stacy, we need a head of our um, our pet speci pet specialty. They said we need a head of our pet specialty business. So I filled that position. I really enjoyed that search. And through networking with other people in the pet specialty business, I met somebody that worked for another pet food company who asked me if I could help them find an executive and specifically needed to hire a veterinarian. So I took on the search. Um, my boss at the time, he joked with me. He said, Stacy, you know, first you have to figure out how to spell the word veterinarian because um, that's a big word. <laughs> and he said, but, you know, once you can figure out how to spell it, he said the search process to find, you know, a head of a business unit, it, it's the same process to find a veterinarian. You just go through the steps that you would go through to conduct a search. So I took on that project. I found the veterinarian. I filled the executive position. And it was basically somebody that was in charge of a technical services department. So these were, this person was leading a team of veterinarians who were out in the field that were uh, traveling, that were working with sales reps to support them and going into veterinary practices to help them you know, better understand the science behind the product. So they were doing lunch and learns. They were taking clients out to lunch and dinner. They were going to industry trade shows and events and meeting um, people from veterinary practices that would buy their products. And so after I filled that position um, through networking, when I, you know, as you are in search, you're, you're always networking, you're always recruiting. And so I met somebody who was the head of sales for a major, one of the largest animal health pharmaceutical companies. And that individual hired me to, they were um, expanding their sales force and he hired me to find people in their sales organization and then introduced me to one of his colleagues. So I was filling positions in their sales organization and he introduced me to his colleague who was the head of the tech services group. So that person was the same 
level of position that I had just filled at a pet food company. And he needed to hire about five, um, five veterinarians for field services or tech services. So I helped with that project. I filled um, the positions he needed me to fill. And then through introductions and that company, I was introduced to people in R&D and regulatory and started getting asked to fill other positions in that company and R&D and regulatory affairs and a number of other positions. So those conversations led to another company in the industry hearing about, so a lot of my business over the years has been uh, word of mouth. And so another company in the industry heard about the work that I was doing for this company. And they said they were also expanding their sales force and technical services veterinarian team and asked me if I could help. So I was hired and filled a number of positions with that organization. And so about that time, um, there was a company that was um, had the goal of opening hundreds of veterinary clinics around the country. And I was introduced to them. I flew to their corporate office, met with them, uh, got a contract with that organization and helped them find, I want to say off the top of my head, I think it was around 300 veterinarians. So this was a project that was on an ongoing basis. It went for um, a number of years and I built a team of recruiters that uh, worked on that client with me. And we were hired to help fill hundreds of positions for veterinarians working in clinical practice for a corporation. So that led to other clients that I was introduced to that reached out uh, to hire me to fill positions within their organization. So I worked for this large international search firm for about seven and a half years. Um, and I decided I wanted to start traveling to the different industry conferences like NABC, which is now VMX. And so I started traveling to these industry conferences. I went to my, on my own dime, I was paying um, most of my own way for that. Cause like I said, I was building a business within a business and the company I was working for, you know, they were intrigued by what I was doing, but they kept reminding me that the focus needed to be on working with this, these human food companies and consumer packaged goods. So they, I don't think they realized the scope of the animal health and the, the veterinary industry and all that entailed. And I, I think that they had the impression that it was a you know very small niche or that it, I think they weren't, it wasn't even on their radar as a niche because when I said that I wanted to specialize in the animal health and veterinary industry, the feedback that I received was you can dabble in that industry, but you need to focus with these other companies that you're working with. And so, you know, I really enjoyed the converse. I really enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the conversations that I was having with veterinarians. You know, when I was working in the consumer packaged goods space and I would call somebody an executive, you know, often the comment I would get was, well, what do you have for me today? You know, what do you have for me today? And if you didn't have an opportunity that was immediately something they wanted to hear about, then they weren't always that interested in, you know, having a conversation. What I found about the people in the animal health industry is I could get just about you know, anybody I wanted to talk to on the phone. They were very friendly. They were very receptive. They were open to a conversation. They were also very helpful. Um, if I didn't know the answer to something, a question I had, they were very patient and, you know, would educate me and, you know, teach me and answer my questions. And it's very open and receptive people and just genuine people. So I really enjoyed the people I was talking with. Um, the company I was working for had a book of this really thick book of all the different niches and specialties that one would recruit in. So there was IT, there was accounting, there was manufacturing, there was engineering. 
animal health and veterinary was not in the book. I said, well, why is it in the book? And they said something to the effect of, well, that's not a niche we work in, or that that's, you know, it's a small, mostly a lot of mom and pop businesses, because they were thinking in terms of the privately owned veterinary practices. And they said, it's just not a big, not a big enough industry. You can dabble in it, but you really need to focus on consumer packaged goods. So um, after, you know, some back and forth there, I finally approached them with the thought of buying out the business that I had created within their business, which I was able to do. So about 15 years ago, I bought out the business I had created in their business and went on my own as the vet recruiter. And the goal was to serve both animal health companies and veterinary practices to help them find talent to fill their most critical positions. So that's how I got into this space. Like I said, I thought I was going to go into journalism and broadcasting. I use my skills, my communication skills. And when you're in journalism and broadcasting, one of the things you learn is how to interview people to get the story. Now I interview people to help them with their career and to help my clients find the most suitable people for their position. So that's my story and how I got into this industry. Thank you for that. And I laughed earlier because you talked about you were told like, can you even spell veterinarian? I'm sure in your sleep now, it's like this thing that just continues to, to bounce around in your head. But I, I led it off talking about how you've probably had more conversations with those in the industry over the past you know, number of years, even before you started your firm 15 years ago, than anyone I can think of. What changes have you seen, let's say more recently, even in the industry? And are there any thing from those conversations that, that may come as a surprise to someone listening that maybe doesn't realize the, the the demographic changes, the the wants and the desires of people that you're talking to that, that are maybe receptive to moving or are thinking about making a change? Sure. I was talking about um, spelling veterinarian in your sleep. This is a, a true story. Um, my husband over the years has said that I have tried to interview him for a job countless times in my sleep. I apparently um, talk in my sleep and uh, my husband, I've woken him up at night because he said, I am interviewing him for a job in my sleep. So um, my husband came to work with me full time, but he'd always, you know, he had another career in public accounting and then worked as a controller for an organization, but he'd always helped me in my business behind the scenes. It's almost like he had two full-time jobs. And uh, about four years ago, um, he was a controller of a company that sold to a large organization and I recruited him. So I recruited my husband to work in my business and now he's my business partner and he works with me full time. Um, But to answer your question, you asked, um, I think about um, what would come as a surprise to most, correct? Yeah, you can take it as a surprise or just for the conversations that you've had over the years, like what what, what have you seen changed? What have you you seen that would be really surprising as far as the, the feedback and insights that, that you gather in all the conversations that you have on a daily basis? Well, one thing that I'm really excited about, so when I got into the space and started recruiting veterinarians back in the 1990s, I was very surprised at the time at some of the salaries that veterinarians were being paid in private practice. For example, back in the late 90s, I remember a veterinarian that I talked to in Dallas, Texas, and she told me that she was making a salary of $35,000, did not have any benefits, had no medical insurance, no dental, no 401k plan. She said that um, she had no uniform allowance. She had to pay for her own uniform. She said she had to pay for her own licenses and dues and, and everything. So she 
was receiving, she was working full time, making $35,000 a year. And I placed her at this corporation and they gave her a $20,000 increase. They increased her salary from 35 to 55,000, gave her a generous benefits package and medical dental 401k. We're going to take care of her license and dues and other expenses like that, her continuing education. And she called, you know, and I was thinking at the time, you know, I knew people that were graduating with a four-year degree, their first job out of college that were making in the 30 to 35,000 range. And I was thinking how long it took this veterinarian to go to school and how much education she had. And I was thinking, you know, she deserves to be paid more. And so when this corporation increased her pay by $20,000, she called me crying. And she said, I want you to know that this has changed my life. And I feel like I have won the lottery today. And so being able to help her increase her pay, you know, so really what happened there and, you know, corporations, and, and I know that, you know, not everyone in the industry is positive about a cor corporations, but, you know, corporations have brought a significant amount of money into the veterinary space, which has not only increased the you know opportunities for more pay and better benefits for veterinarians, but it's also increased um, job opportunities. It's it's created you know more career paths for veterinarians. For example, when I first started recruiting veterinarians, you could be either an associate veterinarian or you could be an owner if you wanted to work in you know clinical practice now there were opportunities in the government and industry and academia but if you were a veterinarian working in clinical practice you were either an associate working for somebody or you were an owner and with the corporations there are a number of job opportunities for veterinarians that are not um, you know an associate veterinarian or necessarily a medical director or chief of staff but there's you know regional and field opportunities and opportunities and quality and you know I've just seen some really interesting you know career paths out there for veterinarians so you know that's a real positive another thing that's happening right now and I've talked about this a lot in the last couple years but you know I know the national unemployment rate is is very low but the unemployment rate is even lower in the veterinary profession so we've been hovering at an unemployment rate around one percent and at times it's dipped down to a half a percent of unemployment. So, um, you know, there has never been a better time in the history of veterinary medicine than today to be a veterinarian because you can make more money, receive better benefits. You know, there's so many, you know, job opportunities. Also, the, the pet population continues to increase, which is contributing to the growth of the, the veterinary profession and the amount of money that people are spending on their pets. You know, a couple other things that I've observe that's happening is, you know, the veterinary profession is, is consolidating. Um, the animal health industry is also consolidating as well. Um, some of the other issues that, you know, I, I hear talked about frequently are things like student debt. Student debt is more of a concern um, to the veterinarians and how they're going to pay off that debt. Other trends that I've seen um, my time in the industry, you know, a big one right now is people are wanting more of a, a work-life balance. I'd say one of the biggest things that has surprised me, but it, I mean, it's real and it's talked about a lot, is, um, you know, some of the people in the profession, so I'm a very positive and optimistic 
person and I have an abundance mentality and I'm a glass half full person, not a glass half empty person. So I, I tend to look at things with you know more of a positive viewpoint, but I know it's real and I do encounter um, a lot of, I would say job unsatisfaction in the veterinary profession. In other words, I get a large number of veterinarians that come to me that tell me that they don't want to work in practice anymore, that they want to do something else. Uh, there's a lot of interest in getting into industry. Um, so I would say that that has been a surprise to me in the recent months and probably the last couple years. Um, also with the industry side consolidating, you know, every time one drug company buys another drug company, that's one less company out there. Because when I started over 20 years ago, there were a lot more companies on the industry side than there are now. And so with consolidation, they don't need I'm, I'm losing my voice. Not supposed to happen. Um, with the consolidation, you know, when one drug company buys another company, they don't need two tech services veterinarians in, you know, Dallas, Texas. They need one. So, you know, some of those jobs get absorbed. And I would say that with all the consolidation, from my point of view, it seems like it's more. I know it's more competitive to get a job um, going from practice to industry. It's more competitive, but I would say there's a lot more interest in going from practice to industry than I've seen in the last 20 years. So I would say, you know, that's a surprise. The number of people I talk to that are not satisfied in their job is a surprise. And when I ask the reasons why that is, you know, some of the things that I hear are things like compassion fatigue, um, the pressures, pressures associated with tremendous amounts of student debt. And another thing that surprises me, but I do hear often, um, and I was at, um, you know, VMX in January and I, you know, talked to, I had a, I, I brought together people from all the different generations and asked them about what it was like then versus now with graduating from vet school and the job market. And, you know, one of the things that really surprises me is some of the the newer graduates coming out of school tell me that they feel less confident in their skills. That's not something I heard 20 years ago. I, I didn't have people tell me they weren't confident in their skills, but I hear that more often now with the younger veterinarians coming out of school. They'll tell me things like, I don't want to do surgery. I don't want to do dentals. And I've asked some of them why that is. And they'll, they'll, they'll tell me they're scared or they're not very confident. And I asked some of the older generations if they felt that way when they got out of school. And, you know, one of them said to me, well, of course I felt that way. I just didn't voice it. I didn't tell people that I felt that way. So that could be part of it too. You know, one of the younger graduates told me that, you know, the younger generation, they're, they're, they are just more aware of their feelings and they're not afraid to voice their feelings versus, you know, the veterinarian that, just retired, he said to me, well, yeah, we had those feelings. We just didn't voice them. So that was interesting. Um, but those are some of the things that come as a surprise to me. It's just, you know, the number of people I talk to that are, you know, not happy in their job. And then just, I guess, the rapid pace of um, the consolidation. Tons of good nuggets there of wisdom and insight. And I'll ask one question at a time. You talked about the a student uh, loan debt offering kind of as a benefit sometimes with employment. I know one large corporate consolidator does that. Do you see that becoming more of a benefit within like a standard benefits package or is it still pretty peripheral and, and not that many people are offering it? Because I continue to hear questions like, okay, who's offering this? Or do you think they'll offer it? Or can I ask for it? What do you see? Is that becoming more and more prevalent? What I see is it seems to be a bit of a controversial topic. 
And what I mean by that is I see, you know, some companies want to talk about it. And I've seen some companies just, you know, come out and ask candidates, you know, come out, veterinarians that they're interviewing, you know, how much student debt do you have? And I, I was told by one veterinarian who's in a leadership role with the corporation that he just likes to ask that question up front. And he says some people are very forthcoming and they want to talk about it. Other people don't want to talk about it or they're embarrassed or it seems like it's more of a private issue. They seem reluctant to discuss. So that's on one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've had clients tell me that they don't want to discuss the issue. They feel like it's a you know personal issue. I've also had companies tell me that, you know, well, when I, I mean, they'll say things like when I graduated school, nobody helped me with my student debt. I, I, I'm the one that took on the debt. So I'm the one that should pay for it. So why should I pay for someone else's debt? So I've heard those conversations. And then I've heard other companies that, you know, are, trying to find a solution. I mean, it is a big problem. It's a big, you know, challenge that not only the individual faces, but companies are facing that too, because they're hiring people that are, you know, concerned about it. And, you know, so it, it should be a concern um, for us in the industry to try to find, you know, solutions. But where I'm going with that is some companies are, you know, very upfront and they, they want to find ways to, you know, help offer benefits to help pay that debt off. And then I've had other companies say they don't even want to, you know, touch that conversation. So you talked about job unsatisfaction. Do you see that more from those that are coming out of private, those that are coming out of corporations? Is there any statistics or evidence of, of one being greater than the other, or is it just kind of a pretty much even split? Any thoughts there? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's an interesting question because I, I haven't really sat down and, you know, looked at the data there, the numbers of people that have, you know, said that, that work in a private practice versus a corporate practice uh, would be an interesting thing to look into further. But, you know, we're just moving so fast on most days, just taking the time to stop and think about that. But um, I would say it's probably off the top of my head, just more evenly split. You know, one of the things that I hear often, and it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've attended conferences, I've attended analytics sessions at, at different conferences where the speaker will talk about you know, Saturdays and weekends, you know, people want to bring their pets in on Saturdays or weekends or in the evenings when they're off work. And so they're trying to hire, you know, more veterinarians to work those, you know, weekend hours. And, you know, we get more pushback now from people, you know, that are looking for the work-life balance that say they don't want to work weekends. So we've had people, including new grads, turn down job opportunities that involved any weekend work. And we've had clients complain because, you know, we've sent them new grad veterinarians and experienced veterinarians too, but um, the push they, they push back even more when we send them a new grad candidate who says, I'm not willing to work weekends, um, especially if it's an older doctor that will make comments such as, when I graduated from school, I worked, every, you know, whatever hours they told me to work. And, you know, I worked six days a week and, you know, they'll push back and say, why does this person think that they can, you know, dictate their schedule when they have no experience? So, you know, I've heard a lot of those kind of comments, but I would say that we, we you know, we seem to have these conversations often now where veterinarians will tell us, you know, I'm looking for a position that doesn't require any weekend work, or if I have to work weekends, I'll do, you know, one Saturday a month, but I don't want to do every other Saturday a month. And so there seems to be a disconnect there and what the employer is wanting and what the individual is wanting. But I've heard people tell me that, you know, if they wait long enough, they'll find exactly the schedule 
that they want. And I've seen it happen too. I mean, we, we've made placements with people, gotten them the exact schedule they wanted, even if it wasn't ideal for the employer, because the employer was in a situation where they needed somebody so badly, they were willing to make those concessions. And if the veteran wasn't willing to work any Saturdays, we've seen employers offer them a job that has no Saturday work because they said, if you don't offer it to me, I'll go somewhere else and I'll find it. That's fascinating. And that, that was actually going to be one of my my questions and you kind of addressed it was just how much leverage do you see for a veterinarian that has, you know, let's say multiple job offers because of the, the standpoint of the labor market is really tight. And as you mentioned, it's a great time to be a veterinarian. There's a lot of opportunity depending on where you want to go. And to dictate that, even if you know, the, the grumpy older, maybe baby boomers saying, well, I worked, you know, X, Y, Z, and I, I did all this other stuff. If, if supply and demand is, is in your favor, you can dictate a little bit more. So it's interesting to hear that there is a little bit of leverage sometimes with the negotiation of hours or, or some of the benefits. Well, it really is. And, you know, right now, if you are a veterinarian, I mean, because of the job market and low unemployment rate and all of the thousands of positions open, you do have more leverage than, than an employer. Now, could that change in the future? You know, absolutely it could change. Um, you know, I hear people talk about our industry being recession proof. Um, you know, back in the, the last recession, you know, I heard people say things like there are, you know, too many veterinarians. I didn't personally see that back in the Great Recession, I did not agree that there were too many veterinarians because we had plenty of job openings um, throughout the country. Um, there might have been, you know, people that were looking for a job in certain geographic locations that wanted to stay in that geographic location and not move. And we would have jobs in other geographic locations that were open that they were unwilling to go to. But there were still plenty of job openings um, during the Great Recession, and I definitely did not see a shortage. I mean, I didn't see too many. In fact, I, I predicted at that time that we would be, and I do believe there's a shortage of veterinarians, and I predicted that during the recession. But, um, you know, if you are a veterinarian, um, there are so many opportunities. And, you know, right now you do have the leverage, but could that change if we go into another recession or the economy changes? You know, absolutely. So there there is a limit to people's leverage and also how they handle it because I've seen people handle that leverage very poorly where they, you know, can really um, alienate an employer because of how they handle that. And, you know, for example, ghosting, we've had candidates that we've seen, you know, go through interview processes where they disappear. Uh, we've had candidates that have received job offers that have not even responded to the job. You know, they get a, they go through an interview process. They, you know, we had a candidate that had a lunch interview with an employer and then he had a working interview and then they took him to dinner and made him an offer at dinner and gave him a deadline to respond to the offer and he just disappeared and never gave an answer to the offer. We saw another veterinarian that received an offer and accepted it, resigned from his current position, had a start date on a Monday and called the Friday before the Monday to tell our client that he wasn't going to be starting the position because he received a higher offer and so he was going to go and take that position. You know, you'd think that was the end of the story, but it wasn't because that job didn't work out after a few months. And then he called our client and said, it didn't work out. Can I come to work for you now? And my client called me and said, you know, normally I would say no way, but I'm so desperate and needy that I'm going to hire this person. So he hired him. But I would say that 
there is an end to the leverage. And as soon as the, the job market changes where it becomes more employer driven, then you know that some of those people that have made that mistakes are going to you know wish they hadn't burned those bridges. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And that's shocking to me that people would just not respond to someone that's invested that much time and energy into them and offer them a job or take them out. Um, and, and, and spent, you know, how many hours working on making sure that that's the right fit, but it really is. It, it is. And I was speaking at a conference last fall and it was in a group of, um, veterinary hospital practice managers. And I asked the question, you know, how many of you have experienced ghosting? And this, there was like a big roar of like chuckles across the room and a bunch of hands being raised and it seemed like a large percentage of the people in the room had experienced that. It's not just, you know, in the veterinary industry, it's, it's widespread throughout, you know, many, many different industries. And, and I've heard, I've asked people, you know, the question, why is there so much ghosting and some of the feedback I've received are things like, well, you know, when we apply to companies, you know, we've sent out resumes or applications to different companies and haven't heard back, haven't gotten a, you know, a letter to say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We've just nothing. So now when, you know, we apply for positions and they're interested, if we have another opportunity, we just ignore them. So I don't think that's, you know, the best approach, but it is unfortunately a thing that we're seeing in our industry and other industries are seeing it as well. Appreciate you sharing some of the stories and things that are going on in the industry. You talked about a little bit before how you know, not necessarily that corporations are being embraced with loving open arms that, you know, thank you so much for coming into the industry, but certainly have raised some of the benefits that are offered pay and, and kind of push private practice. So if you look at a non-corporate practice, how do they compete for talent in, in the environment that we're in today? Well, I think that in order to compete for talent, you have to be seen as an employer of choice. You have to be an organization that's attractive for people to want to come and work for. And it's not necessarily all about salary and, and benefits for everyone. I mean, it, it is for some people, but, you know, not everyone. I mean, providing a high quality place to work, um, you know, those relationships, you know, good technology, you know, the physical appearance of, of your building, you know, is it is it like old and falling apart and needs to be updated or, um, you know, has it recently been remodeled and you have the latest and greatest equipment and, you know, how are you treating your employees and what's the environment like as far as the culture? So, I, you know, I think whether you're a corporation or an individual, you know, not a corporation, you, you can compete for talent by becoming an employer of choice. And how you become an employer of choice is, first of all, you have to know why you're in business and you have to know your why. So it's not, I'm in business to make money and make a profit, but you know, what, how am I giving back? What, how am I benefiting society? Cause that's people, that's what people want to know today. They want to know that they're working, that they're a part of an organization that's not there just to make money and make a profit, but how are they benefiting society as a whole? So you have to know your why and why you're in business. And then you have to be, you know, you have to be able to show people that are going through the interview process, um, what it is about your culture and, and your environment and, um, you know, what's attractive to individuals. So, I mean, there are certainly, you know, some people that prefer to work for a non-corporation. Other people prefer to work for a corporation because they feel like there's more structure and um, maybe more competitive pay and benefits. Um, but then, like I said, others, you know, we do get people that you know, would prefer not to work for a corporation. So I think certainly, you know, whether you're corporate or non-corporate, you can compete by being an employer of choice and offering the best opportunity and the best 
candidate interview experience that you possibly can. Do you see the the changing in the the makeup of the workforce as, as more female veterinarians enter into the industry? I think the latest numbers that I saw is about 70% of new grads are, are female. Do you see that changing the benefits or, or how they want to approach work? Yeah, I definitely see a change. I thought the last stat that I so I thought it was actually over 80% of um, veterinarians graduating from school were female, but uh, I, I know it's you know more female than, than male. Um, I was meeting with a gentleman last year at the AVMA conference, and he works for the AVMA, and he's a PhD, and he was showing me some data of uh, women veterinarians between the ages of 30 to 50, and he was showing me some statistics of um, in the recent years that women between the ages of 30 and 50 that are veterinarians that every year um, in recent years, the number of hours is decreasing that they're working. I, I see that too firsthand in our search practice because you know, I would say it's not just females, though. I see it with males too, that the, the number of hours that they're wanting to work um, seems to be on the decrease. But some of the you know feedback I get are, you know, with females is, you know, they're wanting to work around their children's school schedules. So being able to take kids to school or pick them up from school or go to, you know, classroom functions at the school or um, just be involved at the school. Um, And then of course, daycare is a concern for, you know, many people when the kids get out of school, having reliable daycare. So I'd say we have, you know, more people asking to work, you know, reduced hours or have a schedule set around their family or maybe, you know, their spouse's employment. So yeah, people are asking for more flexibility with their schedules. As we kind of start to, to wind down, what do you think is a, a piece of information or, or insights that the industry needs to know more about that, that you see that you feel like just isn't being heard? And that's a great question. Yeah, I would say that, you know, it, far as the, you know, if you're a veterinarian and you're working in a practice and you've been there for 10 or 20 years and you haven't looked outside of your current practice at other opportunities, you know, you may be underpaid. Um, you know, this morning I received um, a note from a hospital that, that wants to hire a veterinarian. And I asked, so what, we have a questionnaire on our website that people fill out when they need to hire somebody. And um, one of the questions is about the salary range. And this person said the salary for a veterinarian that they were looking to hire was 60 to $80,000. Most of our offers are above 90,000. And I don't have the data in front of me, but I would say that I probably most of the offers we're seeing are above 100,000. So if you're a practice and you're hiring a full-time veterinarian and you're still offering 60,000, you know, you're, you're under market. And if you're a veterinarian that's been in the same practice for 10 or 20 years and you haven't gotten out there to see what you're worth, you may be underpaid. And there's a good chance that, you know, some of the new grads are being paid more than, you know, somebody that's been in the same practice for 20 years if they haven't been getting pay increases to reflect the, the job market. Yeah, that's fascinating and, and certainly insightful. I, I think I recall at the AVMA Economic Summit, the average and again, averages are dangerous because you have different parts of the country that are going to certainly have higher standards of living and have to pay more. But I think it was about eighty-five thousand is what the. I think that's right. Yeah, I think I was I was going to say I don't have that in front of me, but I was going to say I think it's eighty-five or or eighty-four. So I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, so I think that's great advice, and and always go out and and see what you're worth. And I think 
that's a that's a problem that a lot of veterinarians tend to undervalue their skill set and what they have and the, the knowledge and expertise is is certainly valuable. And there's a lot of people that that want that expertise and knowledge, not just you know the clients and patients that that need their help, but also you know if they're not an owner, the the employer that they work for. The podcast is all around success, and I know that's a, a hard word sometimes to define. Stacy, how do you think about success from a personal perspective? And then professionally with the vet recruiter and then sure um well i think that as far as success it you know success means different things to uh different people you know for me personally um success means that i'm fulfilled that i enjoy what i'm doing that i enjoy the work that i'm doing and i'm contributing to society and to the profession in a, in a positive way so, you know, for some people, it might be about, you know, money or work-life balance. For me, I don't, I don't have a lot of work-life balance. I, I, I tend to be a workaholic. I, um, I, I work a lot, long hours, long days. Um, I put in some work probably seven days a week. But, but for me, it's, it's, it's about, you know, feeling like I'm useful, uh, that I'm contributing, that I'm you know, making the world a better place, giving back that, um, I am helping other people and then I enjoy what I do. And so I do feel like I'm successful because I, I truly, when I go to work every day, I feel like I'm going to fun. I feel like what I do it, I, I mean, I know it's work, but it doesn't feel like work. It, it feels like fun and I really enjoy what I do. Awesome. Thank you for, you know, being honest and transparent around that. I know, again, it's a hard thing to, to think about at times and define and actually, you know, verbalize that, but a lot of people know who you are and and like you talked about you're very very niche specific which i love and have a lot of you know passion for as well where can people find you best reach out where would you direct them sure uh, so the best place to find me is on our website www.thevetrecruiter.com uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, or you can reach out to me. Uh, my contact information is on our website. You can call or send me an email. Perfect. Thank you so much for the time today and sharing all the knowledge, insight, and wisdom uh, that you have to offer. And I certainly appreciate the time. My pleasure, Isaiah. Thank you for inviting me here. And um, I hope that this has been helpful to everyone. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found. And Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links, and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking again to you soon.